Welcome to the Network Marketing Heroes Podcast, hosted by 40-year network marketing veteran, author of best-selling books, The Four-Year Career, and Mach 2 with Your Hair on Fire, and world-renowned speaker, Richard Bliss Brook. When it comes to success in network marketing, who better to learn from than leaders who have actually done it? Listen as Richard interviews top leaders and gives you a behind-the-scenes look at how they did it. You'll get incredible tips and duplicable actions you can do right now to build your own four-year career. Stay tuned after this episode for an exclusive discount code to get 10% off Richard's easy-to-use tools that will help propel your network marketing business to the next level at blissbusiness.com. Hey, everybody. Richard Blissbrook here. And I am so excited today to bring you another global influencer interview. Today, we have none, on, uh, none only than the infamous Kim Fisk, the author of a book that is going to rock your world, coming out October 10th, 2018. So for most of you listening to this, it's probably already out. This is a book you have got to read, got to study, got to take into your life so that you can have the kind of life that Kim Fisk has created for herself. I'm going to tell you just a little bit about how I know Kim Fisk and what I know about this book, and then she and I are going to riff for about an hour back and forth about transformational development and how you and I rise above that little voice within, listening to that big voice within, the one that has us go achieve everything we've ever wanted to achieve in our life. So this is how I met Kim Fisk. Gosh, I'm going to guess this is 1987 or 88, something in that category. She was already breaking paradigms back then. She showed up at my dad's front door delivering FedEx packages. She probably knows, but I don't know. I bet there weren't very many FedEx drivers that were ladies back in 1988. But something about her struck me as she's probably either going to end up running FedEx or leaving FedEx because this Wonder Woman has way more to offer the world than delivering packages. She just had a super special energy about her. Uh, fun, happy, joyous, intense, busy, you know, love to connect with people, but also love to get on her way and, and get her business done. And Kim and I struck up a relationship. We actually got in business together and she rocked that business. But I wasn't quite big enough for her, so she went and rocked an even bigger business. And that wasn't big enough for her, so she went and even rocked a bigger business. I don't know, she'll fill in the details maybe, but I think about 15 years ago, uh, Kim launched into the weight loss business, fitness and weight loss, and built a sales organization of tens of thousands, high performance coaches, coaching people to fitness and that has landed her as a million dollar a year earner for about the last 10 years 
And Kim's secret sauce is not what you eat and how much you work out and all that kind of stuff, but her secret sauce is coaching people to flush out that powerful spiritual voice from within and drown out that voice that has us play small and weak and scared. And, you know, when it comes to fitness, if you've got your higher spiritual self in play, if you've got the first string on the field, getting fit is not that hard to do. And what Kim specialized in was coaching coaches to coach people on their mindset. And then the weight just melted off and the money just rolled in and it's been rolling in ever since. I mean, she's got this business. I think she hasn't even touched pure residual income, a million dollars a year. And I don't think she's touched that business really like driving it for five, six, seven years. So what's a business like that worth? What's an income like that worth? Tens of millions of dollars. And it just goes to show you how somebody can go from a FedEx driver to a multi-multi-millionaire, at the same time raising a beautiful family and touching people's lives all over the world. And one of the things we're gonna talk about today is Kim's new book, her first book, uh, and an extraordinary book, The Monster Under the Bed, and how you can get a hold of that book and, and not just read it, but study it and study it and study it. So whatever your FedEx is in your life, you can move on and rock your dreams. So here's Kim Fisk, probably hey. somewhere in Southern Oregon or Las Vegas, or I don't know, where are you today, Kim? Southern Oregon. Ashland? Yep. Uh, near, yep. Beautiful. Well, welcome to Global Influencers, Kim. Woo! <laughs> I feel it. Yeah, well, people are feeling you all over the world because people do watch this and listen to it, not only live, but months later, years later, all over the world, the United States, North America, South America, Asia, Africa, Europe. Today, you're going to change some lives just by telling us some stories and giving us some powerful distinctions. So... I spent a lot of time on your story. Is there anything you want to tell us about those formative years that I left out? Well, I was born in... <laughs> yeah, I know you were. No, you know, it's interesting um, hearing you tell my story about what your memory is and um, <laughs> leads me. <laughs> Did I and, make it up? <laughs> no, no, but we make it all up anyway, right, Richard? Right, so, yeah, yeah. Um, What I learned from you. Um, no, but it's fine. I mean, there's some facts I could tweak, but you know what? It's all, who cares, right? Like, let's just get to the, get to the good stuff. And, um, but I am thankful for you, by the way. And I want to start this call by, um, in fact, I kind of feel a little bit emotional right now. Um, yeah, I didn't know I was going to do this, but, um, I did not know I was going to do this. Well, that's okay. Take a moment to gather yourself. I can always... Uh, I'm going to talk about you. <laughs> you don't need to talk about me. No, talk about me later. Tell no. us about your book. No, I'm going to talk about you because um, just this little banter, I haven't talked to you for months, and um, this little banter back and forth just brings back memories of, you know, how much of your 
and, and how we each, it's not because you're a superhero. I know you think you are, and I've seen your cape, but, <laughs> um, but it's, um, we each, each of you even watching this, you are making a difference in your world. You are influencing people and you don't know it. Like Richard Bliss Brook, I never called him Bliss before, but Richard Bliss Brook has, um, has impacted directly and indirectly, just from Kim Fisk, who knows, hundreds of thousands. And, and um, I don't mean just impressed. See, there's a difference. Because if this is a global influencer, that's a different distinction than a global impressor. I don't want to be here to impress you. I don't want Richard to impress. You know, we can be all hoo-ha about how much money we make, but who cares, really? Like, in the big scheme of things, who cares? It's what, what is this thing that Richard led me, was one of the first people that was there with me in the genesis of my mind-blowing of what, who I am, who the awakening of Kim Fisk was a Richard Brooke. And, you know, it's kind of like your first love. Richard and I never had a romantic relationship. But <laughs> Thank you, Joe. <laughs> just, to, just to be clear here. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> yeah, Joe, Joe, if you're listening, because um, I was married to Joe when I met you. So <laughs> That's right. Um, no, I'm just saying that that intimacy is so much deeper than just romance. And so I feel that a, a strong, spiritual, very, very strong connection to Richard. And so I'm just saying, because Richard has opened the door or played a part in opening the door for, and we each do that for each other. Don't minimize your influence in your world. I know, and oh, now I'm gonna get to the book. I feel the book principle coming on. Awesome. Because the principle of the book, so the title is, can I go right there now? Yeah, go right there. Okay. The title is The Monster Under the Bed, but the subtitle really kind of says what it's about, and that is uncovering the lie that drives us. So it sounds like a kid's book at first glance, and it's really about what happened. My, if I made it up. It's a metaphor. But it's based on a lot, of, a lot of science that I've read, lots of books, lots of seminars, lots of in-the-trench work I've done with myself and others that it fits for me. So if it fits for you, hallelujah, but see if it does. And that is when we're little, in our brain, we only have, we don't have this fully functioning, rational, reasoning, logical brain, the prefrontal cortex. We're really born with just our survival instincts and our, uh, as our cognitive ability grows, like, oh, I'm not a part of my mom. Like, ages maybe three, four, five, six, seven in there where we really start making decisions, but we're making them with faulty brain wiring. We make these decisions about ourselves just like the belief I had that ran so strong in me about, I remember probably about the age five or six, and there was a monster under my bed. And, or some of you might have had something scary in the closet or outside your bedroom window. But our brain was wired that anything unknowable was unsurvivable because we had to be on high alert for our species to evolve. That is a, that is a survival mechanism you didn't have a choice over. You have that in your brain. Some of you beat yourself up that, oh, I'm so negative and I only think bad thoughts. Well, Part of that is essential for your survival, and it's important to have it on some levels. 
So when you're little, that's kind of all you have. The amygdala part of the brain, it's the survival brain. So what happens is, is when, this is my metaphor, when we, there's some factors here. Number one is uh, when you're little, part of the survival brain, well, we're primates, right? We're a primate species. And so inherent in our wiring for survival is we have to have a community. We are social. Loners didn't make it. Loners didn't make it in our in the evolutionary process. We needed each other. Huge. That's a whole other thing we could talk about, huh, Richard? Yep. But when we're when we're born or little in these formative years, we don't. All we know is these people have to like me. That's how it equates in our emotional psyche. Like, how about now? Am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay? That's the constant question running, because we have to be in order to survive. So with our illogical, no reasoning brain, how that equates to a little kid is, let's say your mom grabs you and pulls you away from a hot stove that you're going to touch, right? And maybe slaps your hand. Wait, no, 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 right? I I did it. And that little kid in his radar of, am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay? He had no hope, no chance of logically reasoning that out to Oh, she loves me so much. Right. Right? The emotional pathway there was fired that I'm, so, I'm bad. Something's wrong. I'm bad. So um, what's hard now, by the way, is we have this brain that I'm talking to right now. I'm actually talking to everybody probably that's listening that's over 25. It takes till about 25 to get that brain fully functioning. So I'm talking to that brain in those of you who are listening right now. So it's hard to even imagine that this was, you know, to put yourself back, except Richard, everybody I've ever worked with, myself, everyone I've been just, you know, me, I'm an anthropologist. Like I go into deep conversations with everybody. I have never met anybody that doesn't have this little feeling that I'm not okay. Like I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. Like I'm not, you know, that was a, what I call the lie. And actually there's only one monster. I know a lot of people when they're introducing me, they talk about how many monsters we have, but really it's a Hydra. (laughs) It's a, you know, it's it's one monster that just said, "Uh Oh, the fear struck the fear struck when that little, when little Kimmy went, "Uh Oh, I'm not okay. Then that strikes a fear of survival to the amygdala brain. And the amygdala only has, it doesn't have any rational, the amygdala brain, part of our brain doesn't sit there and go, oh honey, yes you are. Now come on, no, your family loves you. There's no, there's no logic. It just responds to the emotion it feels. And when that emotion involves that you could die, which is what that feels like to that little kid, even though logically they don't even put that together, but emotionally that's how it feels. Because as a primate, like I said, so the amygdala sends a message that says, what does the amygdala say? Fight, flight, freeze. Those are the only things it it cares about is your survival. And its job is to give you strategies and uh, energy and it shuts down. Actually, when that amygdala is triggered intensely, other parts of your body, everything goes to your limbs, it goes to your adrenaline, your cortisol, and um, the... So in my book, I actually think, this is again, made it up. I think flight is, pro- is the first message we hear. I think shame. I think when I went, oh, I'm not good, 
boom, that's a flight message. I'm not good. I might not live. I'm not okay. Get away, get away, hide, hide, hide. And, um, and in the book, I actually have 10 what I call monster tracks that are signs based on your responses, your reactions, your behaviors that show you specifically if hmm, there might be a monster under my bed. So shame is the number one monster track. I think it's the epicenter of all the other tracks. I think it came first, and I think everything came on, on the heels of shame, which is the message fight. Because I'm not okay, I'm not okay. The other message was you have to be okay, so get busy. Go, go, prove, prove. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? You gotta be okay, you gotta be okay. This is all done very subconscious. This is not logical for the kid. It just emotionally runs. So what we do is we look at our environment and we go, hmm, I, these, I have to belong to these people. They have to like me. So what do they value? And we look at our families and we go, well, uh, my family was musical. So my mom and dad were music ministers in churches be way before I was born. Uh, all my family was musical and sang and performed. And so guess what I did? I took piano. I, I did what was valued in my family, in my tribe. And I think that's, it, it really makes sense when you look around at how we are, we have to be okay in our families. So the fight mechanisms, but here's the problem. Now that we have this brain and we can go look at how our little selves were wired, because this is, it's not all, it's not a good, bad thing. Like I'm not saying I'm glad I have the skills I have based on my fight energy, right? It produced good things for me too. But the issue is, is when my identity is steeped in it, when my value as a person is steeped in it and it's entangled in there, in that little, in that little neuro pathway, that's where it becomes um, un, unsatisfied. You can't get enough of what you never needed to begin with because I never needed to prove anything. I just didn't know it. So in, Richard, you know, in, in, um, in the businesses we've been involved with, I did a lot with monster energy. I mean, honestly, like it was all about proving I was special and special is my little word that I needed to be. Little Kimmy thought, well, if I was more special, my dad wouldn't have left me. You know, I wouldn't feel I, I need to be special. So can we, Kim, can we yeah. drill down on that? Cause I think it would really help the audience if they heard your personal story around this. Like what happened to you and what did you make up? And then what did you do with it? Both, yeah. both to succumb to it and to rise above it and use it as fuel. Tell us your personal story. So I am the youngest of three children, and um, I was three-ish, four-ish. I think, I think my mom and dad were, were not well, doing well even before me. I might have been a little, you know, let's see if we can make this work kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> let's give it another shot. Um, but it didn't work. So about the age of three or four, which is right in this prime age I'm talking about, uh, my dad left, um, which was, you know, in the 60s, this was a, in the church world I was steeped in as well. This was not good. This was bad. This was really, really bad in the 60s for Christians to get divorced and the whole family traditions and all the opinions of everybody. And 
So, you know, I, but he did, he did marry another woman, like on the day my their divorce was final. So, wow. I, and I knew that, like as an adult, I knew that, and probably I knew it as a kid, but, um, but my pers- my belief is now, and I don't, I don't have absolute ironclad, you know, evidence, but um, how it's played out in my life is, I wired that little Kimmy with an inaccurate brain, illogical brain, uh, wired that, that if I had been more, like my dad didn't leave my mom. My dad left me. Yeah. And when I realized that as an adult, it was like from my toes, like like a purging of, whoa, that is absolutely how I had it wired. And, um, and it seems so like all of you probably had that guest already, but to my inner self, I didn't, to little Kimmy inside, I had never made that connection to adult Kim. So um, yeah, that was a big deal. And then it made, started making sense when I went, you know what, little kids don't have the ability. It's also part of their survival brain to say anything that happens to me is because of me. And so that's why when that makes sense, kids of divorce or kids of abuse, um, anything that goes wrong, is it didn't happen to me. It happened because I'm bad. There's something wrong. I should have been able to do something like I caused that or whatever. So there's deep stuff going on in people's lives there. But my life, so, you know, I grew up with, I, my mom still kept us in church and we sang and we played, you know, took piano and we da 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 and I was still close with my dad. I just didn't live nearby. And so, you know, I had it really wired emotionally that um, I really, in certain areas, Richard, which is really funny because it doesn't make any sense. There's no real rhyme or reason about what areas in my life I needed to be special in and what areas I didn't care about. And I don't know. I don't have to make sense of it, really. It just... I just acknowledge it and go, yeah, I didn't care about that. And I didn't care about that. I didn't have to be the best athlete. I didn't have to be the best blah, blah, blah. But in my music world, oh, oh, oh. oh yeah. If there was someone that got solos and I didn't, what? Oh my gosh. And I'd sit at the piano and sing and I would imitate Kathy Paul because she could sing and play the piano and she got all the solos. So I'd sit there and just pretend I was singing like her. And then so there were certain areas where I, oh, driven, driven, driven to be special. And then when I found um, network marketing, oh, the other thing is my sister was five years older and she's beautiful. My sister was always the really pretty one and got all the attention and she knew how to do makeup and hair and decorated and she dressed perfectly and she'd do all of our hairs and she was funny, funnier than all get up. Yeah, I was ugly. I was a tomboy. I had bad teeth. I had bad hair. I didn't, I was like, no one likes me. I'm ugly. Kathy was beautiful. So that was another area where I need to go maybe find another area where I can, I can't ever beat Kathy at this because Kathy's got it wired five years older. She's got it. And uh, so I think in my high school years, I remember kind of thinking, you know, I'm going to have to maybe go find I don't know if I thought this logically or if this was just a path I found myself drawn to of leadership and personal development. I got married at 18. I had relationships prior to that, like love lives that guys would leave me. Of course they would because I wasn't good enough. I wasn't special. If I could just be more special, they would stay. 
It was the same little voice playing, right? And um, so I got married. That would prove it. Ha! I got married at 18. Had my first baby at 19. And about the time my prefrontal cortex brain was fully developed, I had two kids and I didn't want to be married anymore. It's like, mm, you're a nice guy, but oh, no. So left that guy. He was very nice and he's, uh, he's, a great, he's a great guy and he's been a great dad to the two boys. Um, but then I went kind of wayward for a while. I left church. I left, it's like, I'm out of here. I'm going to go sow my wild oats. And I met Joe, my current husband now of 31 years, um, in a bar, in a meat market bar in Modesto, California. Because <laughs> the kids were with their dad on weekends and they were going to church with their dad. So I felt good about that. But I just wanted to be free and explore the world. And so, yeah, I met Joe. We got married a year later. And this is, we got married in 87. So I know it was about 88 that you and I met because you were my first, this was, well, with my first husband, I think I dabbled a little bit in Shackley. Uh. And, um, yeah, that was interesting. And that kind of woke up some stuff. And I think I started reading and put vision boards up a little bit, but I had two babies and I was like busy and fat and ugly and not very special. Right. <laughs> you were special to your kids though. So that's one, of the, that's one of the drivers for people. I think sometimes is no matter what, if you have kids, you're going to be special to them. It didn't matter to that Kim. No, no, no my kids, no, my kids didn't matter. I mean, I love my kids. Don't, don't get me wrong, but that wasn't, I needed, I needed the dad love. I needed that dad love. Mm -hmm. um, the dad, little Kimmy needed that love. And so, um, no, the, the kids were not the thing that made me feel special at all. In fact, it probably, I'm trying to think back, it probably even exacerbated the, the pain on some level that, but I understand what you're saying. In fact, monster track number two is people pleasers. And these are the people that really need, like they are helicopter moms that you know, hover and make sure everybody's taken care of and make sure everybody's happy. That can a lot of times come from someone who gets their validation from, you know, like their kids or their whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so Joe and I were married and then I got uh, involved with you and Oxyfresh and um, that, that just turned everything on its heels for me. And I have not been, honestly, I haven't been the same since. And then let me just finish up my little love thing. I had a love epiphany because I built all my businesses. I got my Mary Kay car in six months. I, you know, I'm just like, I know how to do this kind of relationship marketing business. I know how to do it. I'm good at it. I, I, I learned it under the energy of needing to be special, right? Cause right. I had to be at the top. I had to be there for me to be supposedly happy, which never happened by the way. Um, I mean, I didn't mind doing it, but it wasn't, it didn't fulfill that craving, right? So um, it was one day in 2011, we lived in Nashville area. I was in my, my health and weight loss business. And, um, and I was going, we were going through, we, had, we ended up having four boys. So I had the two and then Joe and I had two more. And, um, and it was the youngest one. And we were, you know, it's those ages that are hard, that teenage years and things were dark days during the house, at the house in that time. And, and I was really starting to get into mindfulness and, um, I was still kind of a, I was a Christian too, but I wasn't really hardcore, you know, like it wasn't dogma. It was more spiritual, right? It wasn't religion anymore. It felt more spiritual for me. So I was having more times of quiet and meditation and really 
you know, kind of putting positive energy and when you change the way you look at things, right, the things you look at change. And I really, that struck a chord in me one day and I decided to take this one child and just see him happily, feeling unconditionally loved and knowing how valued and intrinsically valuable he was. So I started putting those images in my mind um, about him and I saw a shift in him. Like it was, you know, maybe a coincidence. I don't think so, but I don't, I don't care what you call it. But what happened from that is I, I went, wow, what if that just translated to me? And I absolutely created, like, I don't know if I created it or if it came to me out of the ether. I can't, I can't say right now because it just happened. And it took me by surprise. And I was just getting quiet and I was on the inhale. And I teach this actually at the end of the book about rewiring is, um, well, I'm going to pause there and I'm going to keep you in suspense for a second because um, Hebb's law, there's something called Hebb's law that says what fires together wires together. And so my premise from when we were kids is we fired emotions fire. And to the degree that the emotions are strong, intense, one way or the other, good or positive or negative. Again, the brain doesn't, doesn't judge and say, you shouldn't really be thinking that or feeling that way. It just takes it and it will fire. And, and it's so fun to see. You can actually see like brain, like, oh, ching, we fired together when emotion is struck in us. And you know, you and I've, well, you more than I, but I, you know, the Lou Tice Pacific Institute stuff, like what the subconscious mind actually can feel and experience in your subconscious, you don't know if it happened in reality or not. It's the same to your brain, right? Oh, that changed my world too, by the way. So what fires together and then the wiring so it might fire, but guess what keeps it wired is repetition, repetition, repetition. It makes those cords, those brain synapses, neural pathways stronger and stronger and stronger. And then all of a sudden they become your identity and you don't even know you're, you, it's unconscious now. So um, I talk about that at the beginning of the book. Well, now when we unwire or rewire ourselves to how we really are true, what we decide we really want to be and who we really are. We get to decide and we can't go by our current thoughts because those thoughts were wired faultily and those emo those thoughts lead to an emotion that that's our red flag that I'm, what am I thinking? You can know what you're thinking by know how, by watching how you feel. Your feelings will follow the thought. So I remember <laughs> I'm saying all that to say, now I'm going to go back to 2011 in Tennessee when I was having this quiet time and I, I absolutely went I am, and I, I did on my, my meditation idea that just kind of came to me. It was self-directed, actually. On the inhale, I said, I am. And on the exhale, I said, loved. And that brought a picture to my mind of my dad, who's long gone now. But my dad that my little Kimmy needed to feel love from, right? Which is so common with all of us. It's, our, it's because of these neural pathways that created these emotional stuff. And once little Kimmy felt, and the dad figure of my dad, in fact, my dad kind of morphed into like a God idea, you know? It was like, 
it wasn't even just my dad anymore. It was like, and not God with a, I mean, if your God is in a white robe and a beard and all that, hallelujah, more power to you. Like pick whatever image this is for you. But it's pure love is what matters. And it was enveloping me. And it just was like, I was in a rocking chair and it was stroking my hair. I'm just telling you, because if you don't get your imagination involved with it, like the power of your visual, I'm an NLP, I'm a certified NLP person now, but Richard, you don't even know that. But I've learned the power of um, this, your mind and the modalities of visual and audio and kinesthetic and how it rewires you. And I was, I believe in that instant, I was just, uh, infused. It was orgasmic. It was like, it was love. Like I have never felt just rushed through every part of me. And uh, honestly, I don't think I've ever, I think it wasn't like such an instantaneous unwire rewire for me that I, it was a pivotal thing in my life. Huge. I love became, I had, I ended up leaving actually the church that I was very much involved with not because they were wrong or bad. It just wasn't enough. It was, it wasn't all about love and I could not do anything. I could, all roads led to, you know what? All that matters is just love. Let's just love. What if we just loved? It's all love. I just so, couldn't Kim, How did that change your strategy? So would, would you say up to that point, you were driven pi primarily by being special? Yes, absolutely epiphany so how did that have you pursue success how did it have you see people how did it have you see your son coming from this new place well it made it made a big impact in all of our family because many of our my kids were in the same you know religion and they i was fearful about uh oh how am i going to communicate this but I couldn't hide, you know, I kind of had that thing and, um, and all of it, like it impacted the marriage because really, I mean, when you put on those glasses, it, when you tell a new story, basically, right, you make up a new interpretation of everything and it becomes that embedded, you, it just will ripple effect out. So to answer the other question is, um, you know, I remember I, re I didn't know what it was going to do for me at the time, right? I didn't know that it was going to change everything. This is eight years later, seven years later, where I'm telling you what's happened in retrospect. At the time, I was just, you know, every, every Zoom call or conference call or every team meeting I'd have at our team events where I'd have, you know, all the coaches and the team come in. I wasn't teaching tactical things anymore. I let other people kind of talk about, you know, what to say to people and how to pick up the phone and how to follow up and, you know, all that stuff. But um, I just found myself really getting, this was it, this when you're a hammer, the world's a nail, you know, like this is how, but I'll tell you what, Richard, in fact, I, a lot of my team were in that religion that I was in. And I did worry that, uh-oh, if I leave, it, how will that impact my business as well? That was a, another huge feeling I had because a lot of those people, a lot of my leaders were in the religion. And, but I just realized, you know what? <laughs> how, oh, what needless pain we bear when we worry about all that stuff. Because what I've discovered, and I've proven it so many times, if I don't listen to that voice, if I don't follow that 
you know, being authentic and truthful and not, I wasn't out to get anyone. I didn't, I didn't want to prove anybody wrong about anything. They're right. They're great. They're awesome. I'm not reflecting that. And if their minds wanted to think I was saying that, that's on them. But all the things that happened, it just did not, none of the fears I had were ever validated. I just was honest. And I just said, I love you all. And I, this doesn't mean anything bad. This is only good. And, you know, I understand we're changing. I call it the change of the dance step, right? Like we're used to this dance. And now all of a sudden, mm, Kim's not doing this dance anymore. Well, you're going to maybe have some step toes and, you know, people are going to kind of bump and uh, you just renegotiate the new dance. But don't let the fear of what, you know, all of that falling apart. So in terms of the drive to succeed, um, because of this new message, I felt, and I, yeah, I was already at like the top income or not income, but the top rank of that company. So I didn't really have any other driving and I never, for me, I'm probably kind of a uh, little bit different, but I never really had income goals. I never set income goals for my business, which is another thing I even talk about in the book about how the fantasy track of I'm going to, is a monster track number nine is the if then, if I could just get to the top, if I could just make this much money, if I could just be this skinny, if I could just be this pretty, if I could just be whatever, then I'll be happy. And um, I shifted that probably around this time. So to answer that business question you had and how it affected me with strategy is I went, you know what? The, the only other thing I really care about right now is how many people I'm impacting. So again, I used NLP without even knowing I was doing it back then. I, well, probably because of all the visualization stuff you and I, and all the things I've learned about that. But I just, I just created a room full of people. You're going to laugh. <laughs> a room full of people. And um, this happened, I'll tell you, I'm just now remembering this specific. It happened at an event for my company where there was about 900 people in this room. And um, the, the head of the company called us all up, the top leaders, and we're standing up on the stage as the parting words. You know how that closing, the closing segment of an event can be. And I'm looking at this room, and I think I had already started to visualize people in a room, but this room was 900, and it was, holy cow, I get them right here in real life. So in my mind, I said, ha, these are all my team. How would I feel? That was so exciting because it's a visual. Then I went, oh my gosh, no, these are all executive directors on my team. <gasps> and then I went, no, these are all global directors on my team. <gasps> How would I feel, right? I mean, I don't even know what was happening on stage. I don't know what he was talking about. I was having my own little party right there, visually and excited and happy. And, and then I went, this was the biggest shift that happened and it really made a big impact in my business. I took... All, in a nanosecond, the thought came to me, no, this is Stephanie's team. Put your one of your leaders. This is Amber. This is Jamil. This is Karen. This is, these are their team. This isn't you. This is them on stage, and that's their team. Richard, that was like a visual that created, like, yes. And I came back from that event, and I kicked all my budding leaders kind of out of my out of my nest and said go fly my pretties and go be the leader because i saw your team already and you don't need me anymore go 
And that my business completely exploded. Um, and it's sustaining because those people, I, I don't know, they didn't like me at the time. They were not happy right. that I made that decision. <laughs> yeah. Tell us a couple of more um, monster tracks. Those are fun. What Good. are people going to get out of the book? Yeah, I wish I remembered them all in order, but um, they are, number one for sure is shame. And half of the book at least is monster, our monster tracks. And so I kind of, and the point of, and I say this at the beginning before I even introduce each track, I say watching our responses, our behavior, our reactions is a much more accurate um, uh, determination of, of who, what we really believe and who we really are. Because if we believe our thought, we're going to be, we're going to be stuck. So you can't believe what you think about these things. You have to watch what you actually do. So like shame is one. And I give some examples of, of how it shows up. Um, people pleasing is huge, like huge. And again, here, and so, and judgment is the third, like right, wrong, good, bad, agree, disagree. I think I learned some of that from, from you. Um, but here's what happens. And I believe self judgment is one of the most is it's connected to shame. These monster tracks are interconnected many times, but it seems to be, there can be a hierarchy of one that kind of drives the other or, you know, is the primary one, but self judgment in all of these things, because the minute I, <laughs> when I, when I'm talking about creating awareness in people about it, which is the first step, like I got to know when I'm doing it or not. Well, that creates what? Judgment. Like, oh, I did it again. I suck. I suck. Look, oh, I suck. I judged myself. Oh, I suck. I judged myself. Like, it's just a perpetual downward spiral. So people pleasing is to self, uh, judgment in general and how we judge ourselves. I believe, is shows up in how judgmental we are of others. I think it's just a reflection of how judgmental we are to ourselves. Uh, comparison, huge how many people live their life and we, you know, sales businesses, commission businesses, it's social all media, social media. Oh my gosh. And we compare our weaknesses to everyone else's strengths and we think everybody's happy. And yeah. Um, another one is all, uh, all or nothing. Um, and, and I, and I do want to touch on this a minute because um, one of the biggest impetuses for really cranking up, I've been kind of working on this book for a few years but two years ago during the campaign, the election campaign, that's what really fired me up about the world needs my message because I saw such polarization. I saw such damage. I saw people just ripping up their families. I mean, people were Facebook messaging me saying, uh, like a grandmother, for example. I mean, this happened so many times, but this one I'm just remembering where she said, if anyone knew I voted, if my daughter-in-law knew I voted for Donald Trump, I would lose my grandchildren. Like, yeah, I mean, she was all upset. Kim, how do I, what do I do? I can't be honest. I can't say how I really feel in my family. And that's not uncommon. Like, it's been this, and I thought after the election, it would get better. It hasn't gotten better. It's actually gotten worse, more polarized, more all this or all that. You're either an idiot or you're, you know, you're a Trump supporter or you're a Trump hater and blah, 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 blah. And I'm asking everyone to just rise above the muck and the mire of that and say, and both like, because I believe that unless we're able to give people these tools, if they're tired of the pain, like there's civil war, Richard, there's civil war in our, in our, in our country at least. And it's, I don't know if it's going to get better, it, but people are so 
um, angry and I feel like not everyone's gonna want to hear I've already been unfriended by two or three people I know of that because I wasn't as adamant about in fact this one person said Kim I can't believe because I was talking about and both like let's just think in terms of you know listening to understand listening to someone else who doesn't agree with us but okay but why let me just understand why you think how you think like let's not fight about it because that's just going to embed them deeper in the thing you don't want them to be in anyway oh so but because i didn't make a stand with her about something she says well like christ says we should love everyone and he's not loving people so i'm never going to speak to you again while we're on this earth I'm like, wow. But you know, that's the, that's the polarization mindset that the monster creates. And so I don't get into, do you like Donald Trump or not? I don't really care. I want to know how, why do you feel the way you feel? And I want to hear you because until we do that as a country, at least enough of us do that, we're going to just be in trouble. So all or nothing is another track. Um, buttons. And these are an example of two of how many people get their buttons pushed. How easily are you angered? How much do you take offense? How easily offended are you? Um, are you a button, like, is, are you just a, a raw nerve waiting to be, um, waiting to be touched? And so that's a definite monster track. Um, let's see, another one is blame. Blame is number 10 and I save it for laughs because it's a definite fight um, message from the monster. It can't be our fault, but you know, again, not to judge or beat people up. It is really how our brain is wired. Our brain is, our brain is, our survival brain is, we have to have a, a reason, a cause for every effect. So it can't be our, we can't be wrong if we're left to our natural wiring. So the whole point of the book is to build awareness with the brain you have now that don't let it be hijacked by your four-year-old self. Most of us are running around thinking thoughts and having feelings that were caused from our four-year-old and we don't know that because we're so aligned with it. So part of my top, my message is to go to the observer spot and just watch it and go, wow, that's interesting how I thought I sucked because I didn't, you know, because I yelled at my kids or because I, whatever, I gained 10 pounds or whatever. And so, um, and then to rewire, to help tools for rewiring. So. I think these 10 monster tracks, Kim, are really, I mean, I just love the way you've tied the story uh, and the metaphor to 10 different ways it shows up in our life. I think that's going to be really valuable for people. So we haven't said it yet. Tell us about uh, where can people get the book and are you going to be doing anything to support the book? Yeah. Are you doing any speaking or any webinars or anything like that? So you're kimfisk.com. Yep. Right. Yep. And October 10th is the launch date. But if people go to your site now, they can sign up for pre-launch. Yeah. Which gives them what? A countdown clock or what does it give them? <laughs> I had a big um, website train wreck a couple months ago. And um, so I kind of had to start over. I learned a great lesson there. And so the websites today, the day we're recording this, by the time it's, oh, it'll be up by the time this is aired. So don't worry, kimfisk.com. And yes, I am actually doing, um, do you remember the Alexis Park Hotel, Richard? You were my first guest that came to my team event back in whatever year that was. I do uh, remember. Yeah, it was, oh, you know, people on my team still talk about you. I mean, you're a legend. 
And, um, but that event, that day, November 4th, 2018, it's a Sunday, I'll actually be doing my first one day event. I'm just gonna kind of, I've done one day events for my team regarding this, but the more I do, the more clear it gets, the more the tools I have to help, to your point, support people. What I've learned is that, and this is probably what's taken me a lot longer to get this stuff going, because if it was just a book, I could have had that out probably a year ago. But what I've noticed as I've talked to people about the principles and I've spoke about it to groups, it's definitely not a one and done. And it just opens a can of worms that can be uncomfortable initially. Like, oh, your whole identity, you guys, is wrapped up. Everything. The negative and the positive aspects. I've had very successful business people tell me, Kim, I said, what would you be without your monster? And she said, I'd be a... Uh, 300 pound bonbon eating daytime soap opera watching slob, lazy slob. I go, wow, okay. So see, I call that chatter because the monster speaks to us in chatter. I have a whole chapter about that. So, and then another person said the other side of the coin, which was, you better not tell me there isn't a monster under the bed. <laughs> and I said, really? Why? And she said, because then. Everything I've ever believed has been a lie. And she would need to take responsibility for her life. She wouldn't have anything to blame, those kinds of things. And it was a very emotional conversation. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to do retreats. Richard, I'm going to do one-day events. I'm probably going to have maybe a – I am going to have. I just don't know if it will be up on the website by the time this airs. But my, my goal is to provide support for the people that um, – that resonate with the with this message, this metaphor, and help people find relief. Like honestly, I've had people just release. I look at the monster tracks kind of like a spoke, like the spoke of a wheel, and the hub is the lie, and then the, the the tracks are you know the spokes. I've seen people have just immediate relief if they could just even release one of those spokes, stop taking things personal, stop judging. Oh my gosh, start being able to say no and feel okay about it. Like scary, but you can do it. And here's why. And what you're hearing is the voice of your little four-year-old that just needed everybody to like them. And that's all it is. It's not true. And some people might not like you if you say no, but it's okay because you're honest. You're just doing it from love and kindness. Don't be mean. But if we don't do that, then we get to toxic and we get, you know, very dysfunctional and we create more conflict than we think we're avoiding by saying yes to everything. So all these things, it's just so, I feel the pull, like, okay, you've got to keep going because you can't stop here. You know, that's how I feel. So yes. Beautiful. Well, I think it's important for people to realize that there is another place to come from that produces far more energy and ambition and power and movement and creation than coming from a miffed four-year-old. Yeah. And that's the purpose of all of this work is to teach people how to develop their personal power, their, their self-love, and their ability to manifest a beautiful life coming from a totally different place than reaction and uh, anger and all of those tracks that you're talking about, which are um, fascinating for people. And I'm glad you're doing a bunch of other work to support it. Everybody can learn all about that. Get on the mailing list at Kim Fisk, 
F-I-S-K-E.com. And she's in Asheville, Oregon, and Las Vegas. And your first event, November 4th, will be in Las Vegas, right? Yeah. Yes. Details will be on your website. Yes. People want to go bask in the love of Kim Fisk and her transformation. Well, so I, I, I have to say, um, I'll just ask you, if you come to November 4th, you're actually going to be you know, in the genesis, in the beginning of this kind of first, you know, day event. And um, it's actually free, Richard. So, and it's a whole day and it will be, um, so I'm excited. And I really believe that the people who are supposed to be there will be there. So I'm not, I'm not all worried about it. I just think that it's, I'm excited because, you know, I love, I, I go to someplace just like you do when you speak. What I do, I'm glad people get something from it. But honestly, it takes me to a place of contribution or like a new place inside of myself that I love. And I love just being like a conduit because I don't really know what I'm ever going to say, right? You know me. Like I'm going to be just like, well, I don't know. I mean, I will have a PowerPoint probably, but I, do I stick with it? Probably not. And so I love this conduit idea that I just open up and go, okay. I'm, I'm here and the, oh, I love what happens and I have to go watch the replay to see what I really said because I don't even sometimes know. Like it's really cool for me. So thank you for, I hope it's a win-win. It will be for sure. Hey Kim, thank you for joining me today on uh, Bliss Business Global Influencers. I trust listening and watching audience. You got some inspiration, you got some curiosity, you got some opportunities to go dive into that transformation so that you can live your life coming from a beautiful, loving, safe, fun place. Thank you, Kim Fisk. Thank you. Love you. Over and out. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Richard Bliss Brooks Network Marketing Heroes Podcast. If you are inspired and are ready to create your own success story, then it is time to take advantage of some of the top network marketing tools available. Pick up the top recruiting tool that has prospects saying, yes, the four-year career and the four-year career for women. Get your mindset right. Without a clear vision, success is lost. Check out the best-selling book on vision, Mach 2 with your hair on fire. Learn to think like a successful person with this step-by-step -step guide on how to break through your self-imposed limitations. Mach 2 Vision Training is a 90-minute four-part video training where you get Richard to walk you through crafting your vision. It's a must for anyone looking to step outside the box and hit the ground running. For 10% off your order, use the discount code HERO at checkout. If you're serious about building your business, make sure to subscribe to Richard's blog for all the latest tools and articles. This success story is not typical. It is meant to inspire you and show you what's possible. It is not what you should expect to accomplish. Your income will depend entirely on you, your commitment, your work ethic, your leadership, and your ability to acquire customers and inspire sales leaders to join your team. Most people who start off intending to build a sales team do not maintain their motivation to continue. 